0: The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24 7 non stop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2 2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! It's one out. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend.
2: Only on A's Cast Live. That is correct. Live from the field. We're standing here right by the dugout. Ricky Henderson Field, the Coliseum, one of the best playing services in all of Major League Baseball. We've got, a, we've got a great show for you tonight and today. C.J. Akowski, Rangers TV analyst and MLB Network Radio, the former pitcher. He's fabulous. Kara's going to join us today at 445, and then we'll have the David Ford show at 5 o'clock. That's just what we have on the paper because we know we're going to get some A's today. So that's the thing about when we're here and not on the road You never know who's going to stop by. Yesterday, look at all the different people that stopped by out of nowhere. Ray Fossey, Chris Herman. I mean, we just had guys out of nowhere showing up. So that's that's what we got rolling today. We are going to have a great show for you. One of the great things my friend PJ does every single year is they do the screening. And we go in, and all the A's employees go in, and we get checked out by a dermatologist, and, you know, a lot of people take this lightly at times, but I think ever since Stephen Piscotty had the melanoma taken off, I'm hearing the players now are, are a lot more serious about it. I know I am as someone who's in the sun a lot and as I've gotten a little bit older. So uh, it's great to have everybody here today and everybody's in and checked out. Commander Cody, did you get checked out?
3: No. no. Why? Well, I, one, I forgot about it. And I really just don't care. I know it sounds really bad, but I, I, <laughs> I completely forgot about it, and I, I'm 30. Turn years his old. mic off.
2: <laughs> yeah, but no, it's a great event that we have every single year. And like Stephen Piscotti, I mean, melanoma, skin cancer can, can kill you. So it was great that he was able to catch that uh, earlier earlier this year when he had the surgery. We have a lot to get into today, and I think about the game yesterday. We're just going to erase that game. You know, there's been a couple games recently that I've stopped keeping score in the Bible, and that was game one of the game against Houston where they got blown out, and I stopped keeping score yesterday because that was just – that was brutal. The A's now 1-23 when they don't hit a home run, and that is – that's not a good stat. Now, when they hit home runs, obviously they win a lot of games, so hopefully – We're going to see some home runs tonight and see Stella get her groove back as we're in this unbelievable sprint. We saw some history all over baseball yesterday. How about the Minnesota Twins? The Minnesota Twins, my God, they hit five home runs yesterday. What does that put them at, 199? They're on pace for 311? Is the ball juiced? Well, how about this? What I did yesterday. So, Dr. Meredith Wills, the astrophysicist that's been working for The Athletic, and she wrote the one article that everybody in baseball read, right? Whenever we talk to anybody, we like C.J. Nikowski when we were in Texas, he had read it. Jeff, uh, Jeff Blum, Blummer, when uh, we had him on from Houston, he read. it. Everybody, the MLB Network's been talking about it. This article about the ball has been fascinating, and people are fascinated by it. So... She only had spring training balls. She needed balls that are being used right now. So she came to the game yesterday, and I got her a couple. But then something really, really cool happened. Michael Baird, our engineer, says, you know what? I have an older baseball. I said, well, we'll pull it out. So he went and looked. I don't know what year it's from, but it has Bud Selig on it. So it's an older baseball. So I held up the baseball, the old one with Bud Sealeek and the new one with Manfred, and you could tell, oh, my God, they're dramatically different. And I started taking it around the press box doing my own deal going, hey, feel the seams. How different is this? And everybody went, wow, the seams are way different. Yeah, well, this ball's from years How long has C-League been gone? It's been a what? Three, four years? Probably something like that? That Bud City League hasn't been the commissioner of baseball? Where his name wouldn't be on the ball? What year did he stop? As we are checking now. I Because he recently won the Hall of Fame.
3: Uh, 2015 was his last year.
2: So this ball is at least four years, but I think it's even older than that. I think it's an older ball because it's, you know, it's, it's seen its time. But you could tell... That this ball from whatever, 2000 whatever, it wasn't as round as the new baseball and the seams were not the same. So really the new baseball, basically the seams are, they're, they're, you really you really don't feel the seams all that much. And we did the test here on Ace Cast Lab where we joking it was really windy and I was trying to put it on a flat surface and it won't, the ball will just roll off whatever surface because the seams won't keep it there because they're barely there want to play you some audio. Is this when uh, Chris Singleton was with our man, Roxy Bernstein?
3: That is correct. That was a Wednesday night against the Yankees. But Singe uh, was not happy after Eddie Rosario had a home run in the first inning. All right, let's hear Chris Singleton from
2: ESPN with our, with our guy, Roxy Bernstein, not happy about the ball.
4: Tap the pitch. Rosario swings at a high fly ball right field. Going back as judge onto the warning track. Looks up. It's gone. A towering home run to right. A ball that just kept carrying into the right field bleachers. 22nd home run for Eddie Rosario. Gives the Twins the early 2-0 lead.
0: (laughs) I'm just shaking my head, man. The baseball is a joke. It's a joke.
2: Like Hit the ball pretty good, but I mean, for it to that launch angle, as high as it was to carry out to right field, and there's no wind helping it, this thing is wound really tight, and that's why we're seeing record numbers. <laughs> Don't sugarcoat it. Chris has really turned into a, a, a fantastic analyst, and, you know, we've seen the same thing here. I, I remember the one home run by Chad Pender to right field. I mean, it was a ball that – and talking to Ken Korak, when Ken Korak, when the ball came off the bat – Ken Korak called it like it was a fly ball and going to be an out. And next thing you know, it kept carrying and kept carrying and kept carrying. And boom, home run. Nelson Cruz had three home runs for the Minnesota Twins last night. I mean, it is just, it, it uh, it is amazing how the ball is just get 199 home runs. And think about that record. The record of 267 was set by the Yankees last year. 267 well they're on pace for like 311 that is unbelievable a lot of people i think were thinking about commander cody last night in the wild one between the orioles and the angels that went 16 innings do we have the cut of the of the uh, position player coming into pitch stevie wilkerson came in to pitch and get a save and he was throwing like 50 miles an hour
4: Wilkerson is going to come on to pitch from center field. Goes after that's it. That's high yep. in the air to center. He's going to get the out with Santander moving under it. And we'll remember last inning? It wasn't many. It's not easy. A ground ball into the shift. Yeah. And the makes the play. 1-2 delivery on the way. Pujols waiting on it. That's shallow center field. It's Santander and they got it gets the
0: save, and the Orioles have won a 10-8 ball game.
2: How about that? Stevie Wilkerson did not throw a pitch over 56 miles an hour. And you start thinking about it. These guys, I mean, that's not even BP. That's below BP. When you come out here to BP and you watch, there's something on the ball. I mean, obviously, there's the L screen. You're not 60 feet, 6 inches you're, they're humming it in there pretty quick for BP. So can you imagine these guys going up there? You could probably find it. Just go to uh, – I, I want to get the exact reading. Just go to MLB.com. They'll have every pitch that he threw and what, what the uh, what the miles per hour was. Because when's the last time Albert Pujols saw a ball under 56 miles an hour? <laughs> I mean, serious. Knuckleballers throw it harder than that. I mean, when is the last time any of these guys – because could that be a weapon in baseball bring in somebody who throws so slow and not an efis pitch not the old you know efis which is a big looping pitch this is just a guy up there throwing strikes but he's throwing it so slow that your timing is so off that you can't hit him and you're just and you're getting like zero pop off one of those balls and I can't wait to talk to some of the hitters today that we're going to have out here. Because right now we got our 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 radio darling Scott Emerson is out here, but no players has come out. No players have come out yet. But I can't wait to ask a player. Hey, when's the last time you think you saw a pitch that was fifty six mile an hour or below? Let's just go over how Stevie Wilkerson. How you want to talk about soft tossing it? We're on MLB.com.
3: What do we got, Commander Cody? So, his first at bat, the first batter he faced was Brian Goodwin, who flew out the center. Uh, first pitch, ball one, fifty-four 54 miles an hour. 54? Uh, ball two, or pitch number two, a 56 mile an hour changeup. Uh, so, that's his t- He tops out at 56. Yeah. Pitch number three, a 54.7 mile per hour changeup. Pitch number four, 54.1 mile per hour changeup. Pitch five, which he got the out, 54.3. Next batter, Cole Calhoun, grounded out. Ball one, our pitch one, 54.4. Pitch two, 56. Pitch three, 54.4. Pitch four, 53.4. Pitch five, 53. And then the last batter he faced was the soon-to-be Hall of Famer Albert Pujols. 53.6, 53.6, and it's not showing me the last two, but obviously he threw no harder than 56. Average, I think it's. Average was 54.3.
2: Okay, I have not thrown in a game since 1995. So, obviously, my velo is gone. But I have thrown out the first pitch twice. And both times, I I hummed it in there. I don't think even now, if I went over there on the mound, that I could actually throw it that soft and throw strikes. That would be very hard to do. To really just, I mean, you're just trying to lay it in there as as slow as you can get it there and still have it be a strike. That, I mean, I, I got to go watch the video of this and see how he did it. Because, I mean, 50, 50 miles an hour, that is so slow. Can you imagine how much out on your front foot you would be? I mean, for any of us, even though we haven't played in years, if you got up there and a guy was throwing 50, it would be, be like the whole time you're like waiting for it to come. This could be the new weapon in baseball. Let's put it in the Atlantic League. There you go. We got to, Maybe we get, we get Rick White back on. Got to get the Atlantic League. Pitchers throwing. Can you imagine if you could figure out how to even throw it slower than that and still throw a strike? I mean, Zach
3: Granke throws that nasty EFUS pitch, and it's like 67. Once again,
2: that Efus pitch is a big looping thing. Yeah. I'm throwing a strike. It's not a gimmick. I'm just throwing it as slow as a, how slow – because – How would you time like a 44-mile-an-hour fastball, (laughs) right? Because remember, part of the reason why, it's just not the baseballs. Velocity, one of the reasons why a ball will go so far is you supply the power as a pitcher also. Not only is it the bat speed, the launch angle, the exit velocity, but it's also the miles per hour. Because think, even like a hanging slider, 86, 87 miles an hour, you barrel up something going that fast, it's going to ricochet off the bat. You know, some of the great confrontations of all time, we talked about it yesterday with Ray Fossey, was that one at the Kingdome where Randy Johnson threw the ball like 90, probably like 98 miles an hour, and Mark McGuire, being as strong as he was and also on PEDs at the time, hit it to the back of the Kingdom. That was power against power, and that's why you can get that kind of that kind of trajectory. That's why you can get that, that long of a home run because Randy Johnson
3: helped supply the power. Well, if you're throwing 48 miles an hour, <laughs> how are you going to – I mean, it's like a softball. I think the crazy thing about the game, too, was the stat, stat became an official uh, stat. A save became an official stat in 1969. He's the first position player to ever do that. And the game took uh, – He's the first what? He's the first position player to ever record a save since 1969 when saves became an official stat.
2: No position player has no ever –
3: Nope, he's the first one. Wow. Also, the game took six hours and 19 minutes. Just a cool six hours. The Yankees-Red Sox, final score 19-3, took three hours and 28 minutes. That is a fast baseball game. Now, we
2: got to get into it a little bit later. I love to see the New York Yankees starting to leak oil. Have you seen the amount of runs they've given up in six games? It's historic bad. I mean, really bad. But your idea, think about this. This is Cody's idea. What happened yesterday did, man, did our guy Mancini play in the game? Was he in this game yesterday? Let's find out. Because the idea, and I don't think it's a gimmick. Because let, let's face it. By the time, think about back in Baltimore. He went one for eight. Okay. Think about back in Baltimore. What time? How long was the game? Six hours, 19 minutes. Six hours, 19 minutes. That's eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, one, two. So it's ending around 2 a.m. That's from 5 a.m. on the East Coast. Yeah. So if you got up early enough, you could, uh, you could have watched the end of that. That's The whole point of these extra inning games is no one's there, no one's watching, it's off the radar, right? There'll be a couple people they will say, I'm sticking with this thing. But the reality is everybody's gone. Your idea is after the 11th or the 12th, if still tied, we go to Home Run Derby. How cool would that have be? been? I would have then probably watched. Same. What a what? Trey Mancini up against Mike Trout, home run derby. Who you get ten outs? Whoever hits the most home runs, boom! I love it. I got something to prom- to promote next, and also the best pitch in baseball. What is it? We're going to find out right here on A's Cast Live. Now back
0: to A's Cast Live, broadcasting from the town. Here's Chris Townsend.
2: Not only the town. Right here on the field, third base dugout. As the players are starting to roll out, we're going to get BP going here. It's good to see Steven Piscotti. He's out here. He's going to be working out. Just want to let everybody know later on today in the treehouse, they're going to be launching, my friends of mine, Oakland 68s. It's going to be basically a new support group, an independent support group for the – the A's and it's the bleacher diehards are going to be out there my friends in right field my friends in left field they're going to be meeting in the treehouse today so I just want to give them a little plug if you want to be a part of their group as these people come to every single A's game they support this team like nobody else we may not have the biggest fan base but we have the best fan base there's no question These people who show up, whether our team is good, whether our team is bad, whether it's cold, whether it's hot, our fan base shows up. So if you want to be a part of the Oakland 68s, check them out up in the treehouse. So we saw this list. It's for starting pitchers, not relievers. For starting pitchers, the best top ten pitches in baseball. This is
3: when you have my drum roll. You forgot about the drum wall? That was from your house. So I didn't get a chance to save it. That a good a good producer like Ben can pull that up on the internet real quick. Wow. Let me help him. Let me let me help the young. A the good young man producer out.
2: like Cody would have already had it done and not throw Ben under the bus. Ben's a drummer for a band. What's your band's name? Trapdoor Social. Trap Social. And Ben just traveled all of Europe with the B 52s and when you hear the lead singer, the B-52s, do the promo, that was done in Berlin. How about that? And I hear there was a few libations involved. All right, number 10, best pitch in baseball for starting pitchers. Oh, let's! I stalled long enough. I stalled long enough for you. All right, number 10, Jacob deGrom's four-seam fastball. velo, the second-fastest four-seamer of any starter in baseball who has thrown 750 fastballs. Hey, let's face it. Facing that guy's no day at the beach, right? I mean, these guys, I mean, the thing that gets me about the tall starters is that you have to remember, it's 60 feet 6 inches, but when a guy's 6'4", or even like Randy Johnson, and you're releasing it, Where you're releasing it is not 60 feet, 6 inches. (laughs) I mean, and that ball gets on you fast. Number nine. Chris Sayles slider. They say he's uh, struggled this year. 89 strikeouts this season with his slider. Second most of any pitcher in baseball as a starter. Number eight. Lake Snell's curveball, 60 strikeouts on his curveball at 29.4% put-away rate, fifth among starting pitchers. Number seven. How about Max Scherzer's fastball? Fourth most valuable fastball, 79 Ks, tied for uh, fourth among baseball. We will get back to this list because uh, – as we told you, C.J. is going to be coming up with us. The last time we talked with him was was in Texas. And a lot has changed for the Texas Rangers since the last time that we have talked. How are you? How are we doing today? Fantastic.
4: Sorry, I'm a little late. Everything's good, man. It's good here because there's no humidity, which really makes all of us very happy. It's coming from Texas, and we just went to Seattle and now here. And- we're loving life. That's why it costs so much to live out here. Well, you've got to pay for it. Someone's got to pay for this weather. It's not free, apparently. Yeah,
2: no, no, it is not. And by the way, what you've done with your career is really great. Not only what you do with television, but what you do with Sirius. And, and oh, thank you. I that's mean, very nice. That's, you know, because I was another guy, and I don't know if you've ever had him on, Scott Emerson, our pitching coach. I don't know if we've, I don't think I have had you him on. You should have him on. He wanted to do radio. Oh, really? Yeah, so we had him on yesterday. We have much, I mean, you know, because there's some guys in our business who are great talkers, mm-hmm. and there's some guys where you go, uh-oh, this is going to be a tough conversation. Sure. Yeah. Have Emo on. He's fabulous.
4: That's good to know. Keep, I'm sure he's been on our channel before. The issue I run into with getting guests in general is doing the 7 to 10 a.m. show on most days uh, uh, Eastern time yeah. on MLB Network Radio, so it's tough to get guests during that slot. I filled in the other day. I went over and did a show uh, here in San Francisco I guess it was 10 to 2 Eastern, so it wasn't as bad. i got to do another one tomorrow. But, yeah, it's, it's, we, have, we struggle in the morning show to get guests just because how early the show is.
2: How do you do the night games and the show in the morning? Because I'm
4: a glutton for punishment. So, you know, they were looking. You know, I, I basically do, like, Tuesday, Thursday, pretty steady, 7 to 10 a.m. with Steve Phillips on the East Coast, and then I'll do the Saturday show with Ryan Spielborgs, 10 to 1 Eastern. But, you know, go, I say I'm going on the West Coast, right? It's the Seattle local trip. I can't do that morning show at all. I said, if you need me to fill in later. And that's, that's right where I should have stopped. I, sure, I actually—that's where I crossed the line. I'm trying to be a nice guy and trying to be a people pleaser, and it ended up being a four-hour show on top of it. So it was four-hour show, seven—well, um, I guess that's why. What, what do we do? Seven to eleven. Jeez. And then walked over to Sears, got myself a nice big omelet and some pancakes, and then uh, take a nap. Wow. And then the routine. Yep. Shower and go, and then do a game here. You're grinding. Yeah. You know, I, like I don't it. know, man. It's just—I I think it was the way I was brought up. Military family. And my dad spent 20 years in the Navy, and I feel like the only thing I can remember him telling me more than anything, at least, was just about working. Work, work, work. And at some point, you know, you've got to be smart about it. And I guess take your breaks every once in a while. But it's, it's a grain to me right now, and I like doing it. The radio helps a ton. Helps me keep up with everything else that's going on around the league, quite honestly. You know, when you're covering one team, it's easy to get locked in only on your team and not be, you know, well aware of everything that's going on in the league. So it helps me. And then if games go slow... We have a you know, blowout one way or the other gives Dave and I an opportunity to kind of talk about what's going on around the rest of the league with, you know, at least some intelligence, I guess. At least some insight.
2: I don't know if this is a fact. It just feels like it it just feels like we have a lot of long games, we have a lot of blowout games, it just seems this year. And I could be wrong. It just feels like that for our club. And then mm. when I go home and I'm watching the highlights on MLB Network and you're seeing 10-8 and it's four hours. Well, and that
4: game in Baltimore, what was that, six hours yesterday, that 16-inning game? Yeah. Between the, was it the Angels and the uh, – Ange- It was down in yeah. Anaheim. I was here, yeah. And,
2: and, uh, and the, uh, Stevie Wilkerson came in for first position player ever yeah. to get a save. It
4: was amazing. And he was throwing, like, what, 55 miles? And I was just lobbing it up there. It was crazy to watch guys and just making fools of some pretty good hitters in the 16th inning. But I don't. know man it's hard to say whether or not you know I know obviously Rob Manfred feels like pace of play has been an issue but you know yesterday's game is an example I think it was 245 yeah it didn't feel like it you know when you have a a, what was 11-3 final yesterday when it was all said and done and you would feel like that game's easily going to be over three hours but we've had our fair share of long ones too no doubt about it
2: how hard would it be I was just talking about this because the last game I pitched in college was in 1995 it's been a long time and I'm trying to think like how could you get up there and actually throw strikes with it being that slow? That would be hard to do. It
4: is, but in his mind, it's, you know, I guess it's like throwing batting practice. Position players are better at doing it than pitchers. Like pitchers have a hard time throwing dial-it-back batting practice. I do. It took me a while to get it going. Like once I was done playing and then trying to throw to high school kids and trying to throw to my own children, it's not easy. Like backing off and trying to throw strikes, you would think, ah, oh, you, you pitch professionally, you should be great at this. It's actually quite the opposite. So it takes a while. So position players are usually better at throwing batting practice and better at you know throwing eighty percent and throwing strikes than pitchers actually are.
2: Did you get a little wild and start hitting people? Well, so both
4: of my <laughs> boys are lefty, right? So I'm a, as a yeah. former lefty myself. You know, it was my job forever just get lefties out, and I continued to get them out, but that's not what they're trying to do in batting practice. It's tough, you know, because you're trying to dial it back and you're trying to aim it. And I hit I hit them both a couple times. You know, it's all right. You get away with it. You don't get in trouble for doing it.
2: No, no, yeah, you gotta learn to wear it. Yeah, that's right.
4: That's right. Turn <laughs> so
2: it. you're doing the national coverage and I'm sure you guys at one point were talking about oh this is gonna be a crazy deadline because this dead it's a hard deadline, no more August waiver wire process no.
4: and nothing. Well, I think it'll probably be a flurry, I'm sure, as we get closer. The issue became As you well know, is that a lot of these teams that all of a sudden are hanging in there, the second wild card always makes it a little dicey, right? What do you do if you really have a chance at the second wild card or if you're holding on to the second wild card spot? So it seems like, uh, using the Giants as an example, trading Madison Bumgarner, probably not going to happen as they all of a sudden out of nowhere start to play better. I still think they should move their relievers, quite honestly. Uh, I know that their fans would be upset, but you don't have nearly the name recognition Uh, with your relievers that you do with Madison Bumgarner. So a guy like Will Smith who would be highly sought after that would get you the return that you want. I think they would be smart to do something like that. And, of course, now I think we're just in a situation where we have more sellers than buyers because of all – excuse me, more buyers than sellers because of how things have developed here. All of a sudden now the – Uh, Tampa Bay Rays got an issue with Blake Snell is going to miss at least a month. Um, There's not a lot of big names uh, that are out there. So I think that's why it's been slow. Let's just say use the Rangers as an example. If they were serious about trading Mike Miner, they're not doing it right now. They're going to wait till the absolute very end to get those best deals. Now, I think I've always been a believer in the idea of being aggressive early. If you see somebody like go get them, it's a lot harder to do right now because there's so few options available. And if you're holding on to a piece that you know you're going to move, if you're sitting right now in Toronto with an opportunity to trademark Marcus Stroman, unless somebody's knocking my socks off, I'm waiting uh, until that last morning. where we six, five days away now until it happens. So I'm waiting it out, and I think that's what we're seeing.
2: Yeah, it was like yesterday while I was doing the postgame show, it came up on the ticker about how – you know, they, they want to re-sign Marcus Stroman. And now Zach Wheeler, they want to re-sign. They want to keep yeah. him. It's like, you when know, all the guys that were supposed to be dealt, Madison Baumgartner. But I started thinking about Madison Baumgartner. And Giant fans, they're not always the savviest, by the way. There's a new Giant fan oh, really? once, once the ballpark opened up. And I don't think they when – they're talking about how great it is. We need to keep Madison. But think about what they potentially could be doing to him. Mm-hmm. So you keep him, and everybody goes, great, we got him. But – I doubt Farhan's going to break the bank for him Mm -hmm. at this age, so they'll give him the qualifying offer, and then we now know what happens with the qualifying offer. Mm -hmm. It's harder to get that nice contract and get that job, as we saw with Keichel and we saw with Kimbrel. So by keeping him now, yay, but you could really be dramatically affecting him in the offseason.
4: I've always wondered for guys like him, for Zach Wheeler, are they secretly wanting to be traded? I mean, it's never a good idea, I think, to say it publicly. But in the back of their mind, as they get ready to head into free agency, a trade really works in their favor, right? Go suck it up for two months so that you have no restrictions come free agency. Now, some guys are built different. Like, I think you and I look at it that way and we're really objective. They'll say, of course, that makes the most sense. I don't know, Madison Bumgarner, and how he feels about just not wanting to leave San Francisco. He may want to sit there and say, I'll deal with it, I don't care about it. He seems like a, a pretty no-nonsense guy, and perhaps he wants to take one last run at this thing, wants to be there with Bruce Bochy till the very end, and that's all he wants to do. And he says, I'll deal with the qualifying offer. Does it make the most sense from a business standpoint? Not that it's his choice anyway. Probably not. I I would agree with you on the idea of getting traded and getting rid of uh, that qualifying offer really working to the advantage of a lot of guys, and and I wonder if it's going to come up in the next CBA because it really has gotten in the way.
2: Yes, and I was just going to ask you that. You know, are there a lot of things that need to change like that and also the way arbitration works where this game is really set up for veteran guys to make the big money in free agency, but now they don't want to pay those Mm -hmm. guys, and we got a bunch of young guys signing extensions – do we need to kind of flip it to where we're getting money to the players earlier when they're in their prime? So you're paying for their prime and not their past. Well, that's
4: what the union wants. And so the idea, of, you know, the, the idea of getting down to five years for free agency, I think would be a real challenge. You'd have to give something up really significant. I don't think teams are going to do that. The other problem you have, of course, is that service time manipulation, right? Using Ronald Acuna Jr. as an example, or Chris Bryant, right? Hold him back for three or four weeks, then call him up, and now you basically have him for seven years, right? And that's the trend that we're seeing in the game right now. And so because there's been – and it's within the rules. you can't I mean, it's frustrating. But the other part of that, and I think it's a big one for the union right now, is you're not getting empathy from anybody. You're not getting it from fans. You think fans are going, oh, yeah, ma- let's make sure he makes the opening day roster so he's out of here in six years or potentially out of here in six years. Now Acuna Jr., of course, got his extension, and it works out fine. But, you know, I think the savvy fan goes, hey, yeah, you know why don't you just wait two weeks so we know we have him for at least seven years of control. So the players, while they have a really – uh, strong issue there they got to address i think they're the only ones that are going to get uh, any empathy for all with at all with the idea of trying to uh, get that corrected so that's a big one they got to talk about uh, service time manipulation could it be for agency could there be an adjustment uh, within arbitration uh, do you knock it down do you make all two plus players arbitration eligible Will that help get those younger players uh, paid a little bit quicker i mean the minimum continues to climb uh, but I don't think Tony Clark's satisfied with it. It's five fifty five right now. It's five times what it was when I broke in, which was nineteen ninety five. So it continues to go up. And I remember when I was making one hundred and nine grand and catching a lot of crap from veterans in the clubhouse about it. you know Cecil Fielder's was like, I made sixty grand my rookie year. And here you are making one hundred and nine man, you guys are lucky. And now it's up to five fifty five. it's gonna continue to grow. There's two more years left in the CBA. Uh, and now the last two years of the CBA goes up by a cost of living increase. There were set. Uh, raises in there now to go to bump up whatever the cost of living allowance is going to be so it'll do that for the next 10 years but that number um will get pretty close to a million dollars here within the next decade
2: I I think about what you just said and I have this conversation with Mickey Morbido our longtime traveling secretary baseball is the only sport that you don't always put your best guys out there that's right because like Peyton Manning gets drafted number one out of Tennessee mm-hmm. by the Colts, the Colts are not, yeah, we're not going to play him the first three, four games, or Michael Jordan comes out of North Carolina, they don't go, you know, we're not going to play him for the first no. month of the season because of. It's, it sounds crazy no. in other sports that would never happen.
4: Yeah, the, you know, the, the best 25 don't always go north with the club, and it's pretty consistent that they don't go north with the club, and it's frustrating, and that's the part. Listen, Blue Jay fans were frustrated that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. didn't break camp but I think now they get it. They had zero chance of competing. They know they have him for six more years after this one. You know They're secretly probably happy, even though they were irritated by the fact that he wasn't there at the very beginning. And I know he didn't have a great spring and was dealing with some stuff, but those are the kind of things that happen. But that's what our game does. I mean, nowadays, especially since we have the kind of ins and the outs and whether you want to call it rebuilding, tanking, whatever it is, but teams that aren't trying, the idea of being in the middle class in baseball is a really bad idea. And so for those that are out and basically not contending, they are going to do that with their players and they're not going to always put their best team on the field because, you know, the Houston Astros, maybe one of the worst things that happened in baseball was that they won a World Series, right? And so they lose 100 games three years in a row. They get the number one overall pick three years in a row. Now, only one of them worked out. You know, that's the other thing. I don't know how many people realize when you go back and you look at the history of what happened there. And they went all the way in, and people are like, what are they doing? And, you know, they really shocked the baseball world, but they got Carlos Correa with the first pick. The next two didn't work out particularly well. Marco Pell ended up retiring. They traded him, never got to the big leagues. Brady Aiken was hurt when they examined him, so they ended up not signing him. And because they didn't sign him, even though three overall picks, only one of them did anything for you, first overall picks, but they got the second pick the next year. And they got the second pick. They signed Alex Bregman. And so they got basically two MVP quality players by losing 100 games three years in a row. And teams see that, and that's what they do, and that's why you don't see the best 25 players on the field all the time.
2: Let's end on this. And a guy, I don't know if you've had him on your show, Rick White, the president of the Atlantic League. That is the guinea pig league now for independent baseball. Yeah. That Major League Baseball is trying all these different things. And we recent, He's really good, and we recently had him on uh-huh. the show. And I was asked about RoboWomp because now they're going to use TrackMan the rest of the year. Yeah. and Next year, Hawkeye's coming in, what they use in tennis. Mm-hmm. So calling balls and strikes, I said, how do hitters like it? And how do pitchers like it? And he said to a man they love it because they love that no matter what, no matter what ballpark, no matter what day, the strike zone is consistent. It's consistent every single day. Do you think you would like it, and do you think it will come to Major League Baseball? No, I
4: have some real concerns. Uh, One of them is losing the corners. You know, the idea of a couple of inches off the plate. We saw last night here in this game, right? A couple of inches not getting called uh, inside and outside is going to slow the game down dramatically for me. I think we're going to see walks go up. We don't want to see that. We already have a lack of action issue in our base, in our game as it is. Right, that's a real problem. Pace of play, but also lack of action. Uh, so that becomes an issue. I worry about that one. We have a kid, actually, the kid who pitched last night, Guerrero Taylor Guerrero's got a really good breaking ball, unbelievable spin on a great depth to it. But take a name that you know, say Clayton Kershaw with his big breaking ball. If he were to throw that thing and it hits at the knees at the very bottom of the zone, and that little beep goes off or whatever it's going to be, that ball will finish in the dirt. There's no doubt about it. With the depth of break, that if he hits the very front of the strike zone at the bottom, the ball's going to finish in the dirt. That's going to be a new look for fans that they're going to hate. Look, what do you mean? How is that a strike? The ball finished in the dirt. Well, across the plate. And I understand. So, well, if that's the strike zone, that's the strike zone. I remember having this conversation with Laz Diaz probably 20 years ago. And he was like, I'm telling you, CJ, if they ever go to that, you guys are going to hate it. And we were talking about different ways why it would be a completely different experience. And I agree with him. I don't mind what we see here. Listen, there is so much information out there now that with umpires, that there's a consistency to them. They're different amongst each other. But you can now, we have great access with Fox Sports Southwest to umpire heat maps. And I'll always make sure I have them in my notes, and I look at okay, this guy has a tendency to say open up uh, to left-handed hitters away, and it calls that pitch a little bit more than the average. And then when it starts happening during the game, they make us look really smart. Say, I'll say that before the game, and sure enough, it happens. They know that the hitters know it, the pitchers know it. So yeah, it's a little different, and I get the frustration of it not being exactly the same every single day. But that little nuance part for me, I think, is, is a nice part of the game. And combine that with the fact that I think an automated strike zone will slow the game down dramatically, and it will look very different uh, to. Face To me, are two things we don't want in the game.
2: What was your spin rate and your spin efficiency? I wish I knew.
4: I wish I knew. I got (laughs) to tell you, I'm so jealous of these guys. Like right, like right here in the pen right now, you got the cameras out, you got the iPad out, and I always talk to these guys, and it's so great. You know, the technology that they have available to them. The big thing is the adjustments that you can make really quickly immediately right like I remember I had a pretty good breaking ball but I would mess around with a couple of different grips and I've always wondered people look at it say I bet you if you held it this way it'd be better and I'm like yeah probably but this is more comfortable now I go in the bullpen and I try my grip and I throw 10 and then I try the grip that maybe looks like it'd make more sense and I throw 10 and there's my average pin rate I'm done I know which one I need now there's no like going through the entire you know years of your career saying, I don't know which one would be better, or listening to a, you know, a catcher go, that one looked a little bit tighter, this one looked pretty good, the pitching coach says, that looked better coming out of your hand. That's over. That is over, and that is a wonderful thing for these guys because it's, yep, you're spinning it better when you do this, you're getting better run this way, you're getting better. You know, Vertical movement, horizontal, whatever pitch you're throwing, when you do X, I mean, that is amazing to me that they can do that, to go along with all the training tools that they have now and the velocity and everything else. And these guys are at a tremendous advantage, uh, which makes what we're seeing with these home runs even more incredible.
2: Well, we really appreciate when you came on the program in Texas, and we really appreciate you coming down to our office here. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a great office. It's the most unique office in all of Major League Baseball. But thank you for coming on. I truly appreciate it. You're fantastic. And good luck, <laughs> television Chris. and radio.
4: My pleasure, Ben. I'm happy to do it.
2: We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. <laughs> Hey, this is Fred of the B-52s, and whenever my flying saucer is over, Oakland, I listen to A's Cast
0: Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Live. Here's Chris Townsend.
2: What do you think of that?
1: I think it's amazing.
2: The B-52s are listening to A's Cast Live. How
1: did you hook that up, Townie? Uh,
2: (laughs) Our man Ben here is a drummer for a band that just traveled with the B-52s cars with us. He, uh... Just traveled to Europe with the B-52s, and they they recorded that in Berlin.
1: Wow! Always thinking, Ben. That's awesome.
2: Is that cool or what? So (laughs) very cool. I hear we're celebrating women in baseball right now. I hear that too.
1: That's fabulous.
2: How long have you been doing it?
1: This is my 11th season. (laughs) I know. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you look the exact same. Oh, you never Johnny. ate. Three you,
1: kids later. you here could we go.
2: You could easily <laughs> have done that. Was it the 10-year challenge? <laughs> you could have easily done that. You would have won that around here. There's no question about it.
1: Ah, oh, you're sweet. I love this job.
2: Do you have a special relationship with the fan base? Mm-hmm. Because you're out here. You're the, you're the person that walks around the stadium that everybody gets to see. It's true, I'm accessible. What's that responsibility like?
1: Well, it's to make sure they're having a great time in our home, you know? This is our house, you come to it, 81 times a year we want you to have a great time so it's welcoming people ensuring that they're getting their needs met i mean listen i'm not exactly like hunting down like the perfect concession for them but i am making sure that they're having a great experience and if that means putting your cute kids up on camera to make it a night they won't forget i am happy to oblige it is
2: amazing that people see themselves on the big screen (laughs) and they lose it and i wonder like Do they think they're
1: on television? They might. They might think it's a simulcast. Yes. (laughs) But you know what was so great, Tony? Is I was watching last night up in the press box, like in the eighth inning. And I mean, we all know the score by the eighth inning Uh, last night. It was abysmal. But they showed these families and these groups of kids up on the screen, and by looking at the big screen, you would have thought we were up by eight runs. You know what I mean? Like it's just—it's amazing how this fan base. Just has a great time when they're out here. And you watch the board show and it looks like it. Yeah,
2: it's funny. I'm up there gripping it because I know (laughs) i got to do a post-game show and it's horrible and this team, they're getting blown out. And there's people out here going,
1: yay, this is great. And I'm like,
2: God, I wish I could experience baseball (laughs) like that again like when I was a kid.
1: When's the last time you had a beer at an A's game?
2: I haven't had a beer at an A's game all year. I
1: mean, well, not just this year, but last year, year before. I mean, it's been ages, I bet, right? Well, you know
2: what? Last year, the last couple of years when I was at 95-7, I wasn't doing weekends, so I could come mm. and have beers on weekends. But mm. this season, I'm 0 for what game is this, 104-105? <laughs> yeah. How bad is that that I have not had a beer at a game
1: yet? You know what? It's all about spring training for people like you and me. Oh, who spring have to,
2: training with yeah, we got, we got a few. At spring Right, training.
1: <laughs> that is the time to have fun, cut loose. Oh, you brought! <laughs> I
2: remember you came down with your your uh, college friends. <laughs>
1: exactly, we were there for a little mini reunion. Yeah, happened to get invited to the big owners' party. It was a good time.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, spring training is always, you know, and the and the and the way everything is so laid back is so good. But really, explain what your job is. What is your job title, and what exactly? do you do other than walk around and talk to people?
1: (laughs) That actually is like 90% of the job. What you see of me on the screen is a small percentage of my day to day. Because when I'm not on camera, I am truly walking around and talking to people. But the official title is in-game host. And so I'm responsible for carrying out sponsored and non-sponsored promotions up on the big screen. That sounds so technical and so boring, but it really is about, you know, making sure that the corporate sales folks get their messaging across, but also the marketing people and also just, you know, showing a good fan experience. But then my job last year and this year as well kind of took on a slightly different role, adding on some TV responsibilities. Yes. Which has been fun. That has
2: been fun. So, do you do both when you're on NBC California? Or are you I, also do, you're also you doing both? I'm doing
1: both. I'm like literally handing one microphone down, putting on the other microphone, unplugging from one headset pack, plugging into another. So like today, I was just talking to the TV truck guys, and like we're trying to figure out my in-game schedule, when we can fit in my TV hit. Yes. You know, so it's like a, a lot of moving pieces going on here. Is, does one take priority over the other? No, we all work harmoniously. And then every game. Everybody needs a party. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) wants a party. And then every game, this homestand, should the A's win, I get to do the walk-off, the hero interview on the field, which is great fun for me because it's an opportunity to talk baseball. And unfortunately, that's something I don't get to show in my in-stadium duties, but I I am a huge fan of the game. I'm passionate about the sport. So I love, you know, getting just to show that I pay attention. I know, Mm -hmm. you know, how many strikeouts you might have had in the game or the series or whatever. So, I like that. I like getting to talk to our players. It's you good. know what
2: I like about it is I get to record it and play it on my post-game show. <laughs> oh,
1: there you go. <laughs> so, Happy to give you content. <laughs> so if they win,
2: you are a part of the post-game show. Well,
1: let's hope tonight's tonight, night, right? I mean, we should be getting three from four from Texas.
2: Yeah, this is... You, you know, I, I, you'd hear about this in the NBA all the time, that you'd come off a long road trip mm-hmm. and you feel like you're back home, but mm-hmm. that first game back home still feels like the road trip. Yeah. And I wonder, after that really tough where you played four in Minnesota, you played the three in Houston, they were all tough, that when you came back, that last night still kind of felt like a road game, and hopefully tonight it's like, oh, we're back on this homestand, eight games left.
1: Totally, because it is more normal to have like a three-game, you know, series against the Rangers. Like yesterday was almost like a bonus game, you know, so let's just pretend the series starts today and sweep them today through Sunday.
2: What do you do when the team is on the road?
1: Oh, I relax.
2: <laughs> no you don't. You got three kids. Yeah, good point.
1: <laughs> I watch every single road game too, because that's truly when I get to drink a drink of beer and watch a yeah. game. Keep score at home. I love keeping score. Um as far as professional work goes, I still do some tech reporting for CBS. Yeah. That's good fun. Fans tell me that they see me at gas stations around the country. and <laughs> That's right. I have seen you at a gas station. <laughs> yeah, my stuff is also picked up by morning shows all over the place yeah. and weekend shows. Who knows? I don't know when exactly it airs on those broadcasts. But, yeah, I do some tech news for CBS. So, professionally, that's kind of where I am right now. But, yeah, momming it up. Three kids. My oldest just turned six yesterday. So, six, four, and two. Wow. And, uh, you
2: are working hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean. Six,
2: four, and two. Any
1: parent knows that parenting is a full-time job no matter what your other job is. So even though I'm here right now, I'm thinking about, okay, I yep. got to gotta think about, you know, are they safe in the pool right now? Home with my grand, you know, the grandfather and all that stuff. So always thinking about that. It
2: was always a joke. It was like it felt like you were pregnant for so many seasons (laughs) right
1: (laughs) and i kind of was this would be my season to be pregnant again but uh, don't count on it we are done (laughs) and
2: and that's the thing about you know we talk about women in sports and women in baseball you know the thing about baseball that it's every day so when you do have a homestand and you have the family life it's not easy to balance
1: it's not easy especially since the hours are a little unusual as well you know so you're not finding regular coverage nine to five monday through friday like a lot of working parents you know you're looking for these odd little pockets of time and every day it's a little different you know like tomorrow with a six o'clock game my duties are a little different and earlier so yeah it's it's hard to be a working parent especially in baseball but we do get that glorious off season. correct yes yeah. what are your plans come November I should say
2: I I, I still work I have Raiders oh, you know right. this is but but you know what this is the first time because I was on a stretch Where I was covering, and I don't know how many people have ever done this in Bay Area history, especially in radio. I was covering the A's, the Raiders, and the Warriors. (laughs) Like a lot of people, you won't know this, but like during the playoffs, I would do the, over at Oracle, I would do the Warriors pregame. I'd pack up my stuff after the pregame. I'd walk underneath the tunnel, I'd walk to here go up to the treehouse. Oh I'd do the A's pregame for the network. Then I'd walk back over to Oracle and I would be doing the Warriors Ooh. postgame show. And then on Friday, I'd be off with the Raiders flying somewhere to two to game. I mean, it got to a point my wife was looking at me going, how long do you think you can do this? Because it's. When you keep going from season to season to season, you never have any time off.
1: Yeah, that's true. I did one offseason working in sports, and that was for the San Francisco Bulls. Do you remember them? No. <laughs> yeah, Ben remembers them. San Francisco Bulls, they were a minor league hockey team. Ice hockey. What did you— What's that? ECHL. Yes, that was it. That was the, the league, and they played at the Cal Palace. This was like 2012 into 2013. And I remember the years very distinctly because I was pregnant with my first child, and it was like those early months of pregnancy when I was nauseous yeah, and vomiting. That's and can you imagine working in the Cow Palace? Uh. Oh, my goodness, the sense of the lingering manure. It, like, I seriously <laughs> wanted to vomit at every home hockey game I had to work. It was misery.
2: <laughs> last, time, last time I was at the Cow Palace... I mean I couldn't even tell you what year it was, but it was the boat show and we got paid to go out to the boat show. <laughs> I mean this was a long time. I don't even know what station yeah. I was on at the time and it was just like I can't believe this place is still around yeah. they had bulldozed it.
1: Yeah, seriously, and the neighborhood hasn't necessarily developed around it yet and it's a it's in a strange part of the city for sure. Why did you want to get into television? Back in the day, so many moons ago um i got in through news tv news and i loved journalism i loved current events i loved politics and initially i wanted to be in like foreign service i wanted to be a diplomat that's why i was a russian language major and did my year abroad in moscow and you know i to be honest after college i was recruited by the nsa to get into the foreign service and um I was thinking about my interests. Like, do I want to become a spy and go that route? Or do I want to continue journalism? And it's like, in one profession, you're withholding information and being as secretive as possible. In the other, you're literally broadcasting to the world. And that just seems to fit my personality a little bit more. So that's how I decided to follow broadcast news. That's fair.
2: It's Cara Bond. You'd <laughs> be like James Bond. You would. Have, yeah. Can you imagine you rolling around with, like, weapons
1: and stuff? Oh, yeah. I can still bust out a little Russian if I need to. <laughs> I,
2: if I remember
1: correctly, when we were at the owner's party, uh-huh. one of your friends is an FBI agent? She is an FBI agent. Yeah, she wasn't a Russian major. She was a, a French major. But we went to a college that really encouraged language study. So all of us studied abroad. All of us studied languages. And all my friends do really, really interesting things. So yeah you're right fbi agent do you speak russian fluently Gavru i wow. mean it's i've I've lost a lot of it now because that was like i said many moons ago because you got to
2: speak it to keep it going yes
1: right? yes but there is a, an usher he works over in uh, the left field area Mikhail, and we speak russian whenever i walk by him so i can't keep it fresh that way how was how was moscow i mean this was back in the <clears throat> late 90s and uh it was pretty pretty incredible we were there about Two weeks after the ruble crashed and as an American college kid, we were living large. I went with $4,000 strapped to my ankle because we didn't think I could get cash any other way. There were no ATMs, no working banks that would, you know, take an acceptable American debit card. So went with cash to my ankle and 50 bucks got you the most incredible night out you've ever had. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, they were taking your dollar. Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah, we were we were living well, but I, I also worked for CNN when I was there, and you know, really got a nice little nugget on my resume. you know, CNN Moscow it was a cool, cool spot. You're like my
2: late father. He used to he used to always put his cash in his, in his in his sock.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly. It was a good way to a good way to go. I mean, you're wearing pants in Russia. You're not exactly wearing skirts. It was freezing. So, yeah, it was a cool experience. I've not been back. um would love to go because I hear it's really changed, obviously, but someday, someday neat taste
2: yeah that is really really cool i did not see that's why
1: we have ace cast live
2: (laughs) so we can find out what's going on with all of our employees (laughs) here at the Ace.
1: i don't know you asked me a very simple question of how i got into this i hope i got i gave you a sub you you blew me away i didn't know you were gonna be a spy someday Yep. And, and,
2: and and the people that you work with, and you know how much we love, and I have a, such a strong relationship with Dick Callahan, mm-hmm. what he means. You work with a lot of great people up there.
1: I do. Dick Callahan actually performed my wedding ceremony. Did you know that? No. Yeah, he did. Back in uh, 2012. I established such a lovely friendship with him, and uh, we asked him to perform the ceremony. As you can imagine, he was amazing, that voice, the presence. Um, so, yeah, he's just one of the great folks we have up in Ease Productions.
2: Troy Smith, you've worked with uh, for VP of marketing, worked with him for years. Adore
1: Troy. He's the man who hired me back in uh, the 08-09 t- season. Yeah, love Troy. Justin Marshall is my producer who I hear in my ear all game, every game. He's great. Um, there's not that many full-time folks up there. They really rely on the part-time crew. You know, and if you've ever been up to the press box, if any fans have had that opportunity, you get the tour down to Ace Productions, and most people are shocked and amazed to see how many people it takes to put on our in-game show
2: and how fancy all the equipment <laughs> yeah. is, right? Because, like, for for the the press box, it's an old building. Right? It's an old building. The building was built in '66. Mm-hmm. It's old. Finally, the A's – see, the one thing that that I've never liked is that the A's or the Raiders will get bagged on because of the stadium. It's like, whoa, they're tenants. They don't own the building. That's the city of Oakland and Alameda County. They own the building. So when stuff breaks and doesn't get fixed, it's not on the teams. Yeah. But now the teams have really – done. I mean, the A's, what they have done to fix up this place, and now the A's are taking 50% of this. But, you know, the, the, the press box is not the fanciest press box in the league, right? It's not. But we go all the way down the third baseline to where you guys are. Now we're talking about world-class equipment <laughs> and all the money that takes to run our jumbotrons. I mean, that's it's very impressive when you, when you go in there.
1: Well, and I will say it's nice for the crew and the folks who do work there that they've got an open-air view of the field and of the game because a lot of departments like ours in other stadiums are sort of sequestered back into the bowels of their stadium. They don't need a field view necessarily. necessarily. Necessarily like the broadcasters do. So it's lucky for them that they've got those, you know, great accommodations right there overlooking the field.
2: And a lot of the people that work there with you also,
1: they do the Raider games. Sure. It's a way to do the year-round work. They get a little extra from that. Yeah. We've we've got that first Raider game coming up, don't we? This is like the last homestand with a pristine field. Is that right? I don't know. Isn't it August 8th? Is that first? I I believe August 8th is the first game. But
2: they're only going to play one game. Only one preseason game will be played here.
1: Yeah. But it's still in between this long. Yeah, we'll host have the September games that the will
2: next. chew up the field. Well, and, and you yeah. know what? Talking to Clay Wood, it's it's not it's not the football players; it's the concerts. No, it's it's the stands. What happens oh. is, if you're looking out at Mount Davis and they got to bring all those stands out, well, what happens is those stands are so heavy, mm-hmm. where we're looking from left center to center to right center, so they put the wood wood plates down and the stands are on top of it. So what that does is suffocates the grass. Sure. And it kills the grass. The the players with the with the cleats, really doesn't it doesn't do that much damage. It's the stands that kills the grass, and that's yeah. why they didn't have to paint it. And
1: yeah, just one more year. We thought it. Just
2: one more year. We can get through it. <sighs> Thank you so much for stopping by. My pleasure. Congratulations, for you are the best. I, I have I told you this since I've been traveling. I haven't told you this. Okay. Since traveling around, I think I mentioned on the air. So I've been to let's see, I've been to Anaheim, I've been to Detroit, I've been to Cleveland, been to Tampa, I've been to Texas, I've been to all these places. You are by (laughs) far the best in the league. Seriously.
1: That's kind. We're friends, Chris. You don't have to
2: say that if you don't. I I didn't have to say it. You are the best in the league because it's like this is natural for you. And some of these women that I've seen other stadiums, they mess up a little bit Mm -hmm. and it's the timing. It's not. You've been doing this. You're a veteran. Well, you're you're, you're the best. What I have seen, you're the best in the league.
1: Thank you. It's, it comes from a genuine place. Born in Oakland, raised an A's fan. True, I, yeah. This, this love and passion I have, it comes from within. It's not something I have to put on every night.
2: Exactly. Who knows where this week they, they get somebody. Did they grow up here? Do they know the team? they even know baseball? As you said, right. you're a big baseball fan. Right. We've talked about us doing a show sometime. Let's do it. Maybe it will happen.
1: Yes. 2020?
2: I just hope we're around for 2023.
1: <laughs> oh, 20, yeah,
2: true. I just, I, I, you know, I don't want to, because bottom line, my, my, my big joke is, will I be retired? Will the ballpark happen before I retire? Cause when,
1: how old will your girls be in 2023?
2: They're 13 now. Okay. They're going to turn 14 coming up yeah. here in November. Yeah.
1: Right. So as soon as – I mean, they're going to be out of the house soon. You're going to want to travel with Amanda once they go to college. You know, you're not going to want to be tied to the baseball schedule.
2: uh, I'm not – I I won't be that guy working – you won't see me here at 70 years old. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm slinging chicken pies right now.
1: (laughs) Have you tried one, folks? (laughs) Walnut Creek. Newly remodeled. (laughs) I mean, I I will not be the guy
2: that they're wheeling out going, oh, he's done – (laughs) <laughs> He's been here for forty-something years. No, that will not me. I will be. I will be retired by that point. Thank you so much. My for pleasure, your time. Chris. Thanks for having me. Congratulations, women in baseball oh, week. Oh, thanks. Great week. You are the Great best. Day. Thanks Great day. Great so Go A's. Go A's. <laughs> A's. She. She is. She is the very best in all of baseball. And how about that? From Cara to the General Manager Show, David Force is now with us here on the field, getting you ready for. Uh, a little A's baseball against the Rangers, a busy time of the year. Have we been sleeping?
5: Do, do, do I get to bank my time on uh, A's cast last night during the game or, or does this count as extra cuz I did a whole inning last night. It was exhausting.
2: Well, yeah, you were like the <laughs> you were the you were, you were the bad inning. <laughs>
5: yeah, thanks a lot, Brett. <laughs> uh, no, I am getting plenty of sleep. It's not a problem.
2: Everybody was talking about how this was going to be crazy times. It's the deadline. There's nothing after. There's no safety net after how you got Mike Fires, And, okay, and Carnation goes to the Yankees. You got uh, Casher going to the Red Sox. You, You pick up Homer Bailey, and then nothing. Nothing. Yeah,
5: people don't do stuff until the deadline is really staring them into the face. I think in the face excuse me yeah the one thing we've learned over the years whether it's trading whether it's arbitration whatever people need the pressure of that deadline um and and even though it's a hard deadline this year there's no you know trades after july 31st it does seem like we're gonna have to wait until uh next week till we get closer to wednesday afternoon
2: i kind of got a theory here and you'll know better than me because you've been doing this a long time but Okay, if I have assets that I want to get rid of, right, yeah. and I want to get younger, we're talking about the sellers. Now that there's this hard date, if I don't get a deal done, I'm essentially stuck with these guys that I wanted to get rid of, and now I gotta wait till the off season, and who knows how that goes. So, as we get closer, is it possible that the that the sellers will lose a little leverage?
5: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think you've you, you know we've talked to teams obviously who are sellers. And there are teams that are uh, aiming really high. At, the asking price is sky high. And those are the teams that, you know, you think as you get closer to Wednesday, the price will drop and drop. And then there are teams that are, you know, being reasonable. And, and look, we got Homer Bailey done. Obviously, the, the Royals were ready to move him and, um, you know, gave up a, a nice little prospect in Kevin Merrill. But um, there's a real difference here between teams that are, are ready to act and teams that are just going to shoot for the moon until we get to Wednesday morning.
2: Things got really weird. All of a sudden, the Giants started winning, and they're talking <laughs> about keeping their players. Then all of a sudden, Toronto, they wanted to get rid of Stroman. Now they're saying they want to keep him. And then the one that – la- so I'm doing the postgame show last night. We have the MLB Network up, yep. and the ticker comes. Mets now want to keep Zach Wheeler. It's like, wait a minute. Everybody they thought was going to get traded, yeah. now the teams want to keep everybody. Yeah. I mean, what's that been like?
5: It, I mean – that's not out of the ordinary. I mean, the the Wheeler thing is almost it's almost so transparent. It's like out of the GMing 101 book. Like, hey, say that you're going to re-sign your player so that maybe someone will give you more for him in a trade because now ta- you're talking about keeping him. You, you really never know what to believe out there. And in the Mets defense, who knows where that stuff comes from? So uh, that stuff is not out of the ordinary this time of year. Um, you only believe about 10% of what you read, if that. And um, you know, nothing's real until you read a press release.
2: How important is it to do business the right way, because that establishes your track record and your future relationships with these other organizations?
5: Yeah, I, I think it is important. I mean, this is my twentieth year. Billy's been doing it a decade longer than I have, and and if you want to to stay in these jobs and you want to continue to make deals and work with people, you have to act ethically, act you know a certain way, and. Um, you know there are there are people out there and teams out there you just you're frustrated with the way they deal and you end up really not being able or not wanting to make deals with them um, you know we get a lot uh, um, you know there's a narrative about us making deals with the same teams over and over again and the reality is like you find people that you like to work with that it's easy to work with that you trust and you just kind of go back there because you you feel like you can get a deal done look kansas city is one of those teams for us we've made a number of deals with Dayton Moore and his group and, and I think there's a mutual trust there and it just it's easy to it's easy to have a conversation.
2: So let's look at it both ways because as you said, you've been in this business a long time. Billy's been in the business a long time. There's gonna be years where you're a buyer, there's gonna be years when you're a seller. What's it like at this time of the year as a GM who's a seller?
5: It's actually a lot more frantic if you're a seller because you know in theory you've got You know, you have a player that, say, five organizations want, so you have to spend your time going through a dozen players in five other organizations. It it, it multiplies. Uh, As a buyer, I can call Team X and say, I want this guy, and then sit back and wait for them to ask me for something. Um, But as a seller, you really have to dig in. you got to send your scouts out to see. Uh, the organizations you gotta you know weigh tr- one trade versus the other it's it's more frantic it's more complex if you're a seller
2: the situation you're in and you can tell me if it, this is not right but a lot of your best guys are already almost big league ready right the people who are calling you they're calling for they want guys like Lazardo and Puck guys that we know are hopefully going to be here at some point this year and then they're a big part of your future does that make it tough for you to deal when you have so much major league ready prospects well it's it's hard to
5: say that it's a a problem to have good prospects i mean yes we have guys who are close to the big leagues and and even beyond those two guys you know you look at the publications our next guys are are jorge mateo sean murphy also guys in triple a who are knocking on the door here so it's you know from from a buyer's standpoint it's always harder to move guys who are close to the big leagues and not that prospects in a ball aren't exciting and valuable but there's a little distance between you and them so if you're talking about you know you're talking about the names you just puck Lazardo, murphy mateo for instance four guys all in triple a yeah, those are difficult guys to think about trading because uh, because they're so close. You can imagine them out here on this field. You can imagine them contributing in Oakland maybe in the next month, maybe in September, you know, sometime soon. So that's a difficult conversation to have for sure.
2: Franklin Barreto. To me, I, I get a lot of people say, ah, oh, he's just 23, and I go, I understand. But to me, he's like an older 23. You know, it's like, you know, guys that we think are going to be superstars you know, these guys usually are playing at 23, and they're really good players. Where are we with him? How do you look at him? Because he's just – it seems at times he still struggles to make contact.
5: Yeah, I, I'm going to defend Frankie because through no fault of his own, he has not played regularly. Even this time, we, we brought him up, thought, hey, let's give him some regular bats He played, what, like four games in a row, and then we – started messing with it again I, it's just not fair to him and, and we take total responsibility for that until he is out there every day for a month for six weeks it, it's not fair to judge what he is in the big leagues because he has made so much progress in triple a what we've seen essentially from last year's all-star break all the way through this year uh, and he got off to the slow start this year but then he picked it up you know and was on fire in june you know you've seen him develop you've seen him make progress and it's it's totally unfair to judge him his major league body of work um, because there's been no consistency.
2: And it's, you know, like last night I was getting calls. Why not play Pender every single day? And then I get calls on Mateo when he's going to come up. That's a tough juggling act. You know, when guys need to p- to be good, you got to play. Right. You need consistency. That's got to be tough for you guys. It is.
5: It's, and it's, yeah, it's one of the more difficult things Bob has to deal with because he he knows in his heart that guys need regular bats And a, a guy like Pinder, or we've seen what Canna can do with with regular bats it, it does affect them. But you've also got to make out that lineup every day. So it's, it's not easy. It's, uh, yeah, it's something that Bob deals with every day.
2: Do you think we'll see Mateo up at any point before September?
5: Before September, I don't know. I mean, look the guy at shortstop's is going to be there every single day. Yeah.
2: It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah.
5: So uh, so there's one spot that's not available for him. So it's hard It's it's hard to say before September.
2: One thing I, I talked to a lot of the fans about and they asked me about is extensions for the players. Yeah. And I think about Marcus Simeon and him being such a part of the fabric of this organization now and his, his leadership as a guy that plays every single day and he's a salt-of-the-earth kind of the earth guy. Have there been talks with him about extending his contract and staying here in Oakland?
5: You know, what I will say is that w- without listening to all of your, your questions that you get, all the call-ins, I, anyone who the fans are asking whether we're ex- talking about extending We've had those conversations. I mean, there's a bunch of guys out here on the field, and, you know, the obvious ones we've talked about are, are the two mats. But there are plenty of guys, you know, again, if your fans are thinking about it, they're calling in and asking, we've had the conversation. And whether it's internal, whether we've talked to their agents, those are things that we're constantly talking about and thinking about the future of the club to make sure we keep these guys in place.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I like what we've been seeing in our game, you know, ever since the Red Sox won the World Series to where we are today. It's like a record number of extensions which I think is good for baseball because you have players staying with the teams they came up with more guys don't want to seem to go to free agency as much. Do you like how you see that? And hopefully that's what's going to happen with your club.
5: I do. Yeah, I I like it and and it's good for the game. It's good for young players to get paid and be able to sort of settle in. And it's something that, yeah, that we are trying and working on. Obviously when we got Chris done, we felt like, okay, it was time to move on to some of these other guys because Chris was the priority but I do think it's good. I think it's good for young players to get rewarded. I mean, one thing you you have to keep in mind is that just because a guy signs doesn't mean he's staying with that club for the duration of that contract. The guys still get traded in the middle of those deals. Um, but it is good for fan bases to feel like their their team has committed to the young players, and we recognize that and are working on it.
2: I like the fact that they're getting paid in their prime. You know, because the way the system was set up years ago it was for guys that were going to be 29 30 31 finally cashing in you know the the way i think it's the cba after two years is going to change dramatically sure. but, but i like how these guys are you're not getting paid for your past you're not getting paid for what you're gonna do
5: right the pendulum has has certainly swung and we've seen that in free agency the last two years and i think it will be addressed i know the the players association would like to see it addressed in the next agreement um but yeah you you know everybody's better off when you're when guys are getting paid appropriately for their current production, and like you said, not for what they've done in the past.
2: And speaking of guys under control, is that really the guy you want to go out and get for the most part? If we're talking about a starting pitcher, starting about a reliever, is not only will you bring him here and he'll be here now and help you hopefully get into the postseason, but he could be here next year, or maybe the year after that.
5: Yeah, there's a balance there. I mean, yeah, ideally you'd love to bring in a guy who who was going to be here beyond just the next two months, um but those guys cost there's an acquisition (laughs) cost to those i mean there's a reason that you know the top guys on the market the Strowmans, the matt boyds those players you're talking about giving up serious prospects for those so it's a balance for us um and we've had success both ways i mean last year obviously bringing in fires and familia and rodney um you know worked out really well for us so you you, you balance that line with what you're giving up and, and knowing that, hey, it's a little bit of a sprint here from uh, from August 1st through the end of the season, and let's focus on what guys are going to give us for those two months.
2: You know what I like about, about you and Billy? Because I think some people, and I think this isn't in all sports, I think GMs are scared to make certain deals because they're worried about perception. They're worried. You guys don't feel that way. Not You're not going to hit on every trade. Sure. I mean, that's just human nature. but. Have you gotten sense before where people you can sense they're worried? But you guys, to me, I think you guys are fearless.
5: Well, I appreciate that. And and, and hopefully we've shown that we're willing to make deals. Yes, we, we've made mistakes. Absolutely. You're going to be wrong some of the time. Um, but you can't be afraid to act. I think there are some teams out there that are more comfortable doing nothing and just sort of staying status quo. Um, but especially this time of year, you have to – you know, you have to be willing to go out on a limb a little bit. So, again, hopefully we get the chance in the next five days to do that. It, it takes two sides to any deal, and we're you know we're in the midst of conversations where hopefully we get something done. But, um, but like you said, I, I appreciate that, and we're, we're not afraid to do something.
2: Let's end on this yep. on, y- on your way out. Who are you trading for? <laughs>
5: I'll write it down, put it in an envelope. You open it. You open it after 1 o'clock on the 31st. We'll see if we were right.
2: Hey, we always appreciate the time. It's awesome to have you down here on our set. And uh, good luck with the cell phone and uh, acquiring some help to make a a big push here. That'd
5: be great. Thanks, Chris.
2: David Force, the David Force Show. The only place you're going to get it is A's Cast and A's Cast Live. Coming up next, Chris Bassett, the big right-hander right here on A's Cast Live.
0: Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend.
2: We got the big right-hander Chris Bassett with us here as we're getting you ready for a little A's baseball coming your way. Game two of the four-game set against the Texas Rangers. How are you doing? Good, you? I mean, does it get any better than this right here on the field? This weather's perfect, isn't it? Yeah. We're just having CJ Nikowski does television for the Rangers. He goes, God, it's just so nice to be out of the humidity.
6: Yeah. To say the least, I, w- I would definitely agree with that one.
2: And you just pitched in the humidity. It's not easy
6: to do, is it? It's not fun, to say the least. Do you tire? I mean, you're sweating a lot. Do you tire out quickly? Uh, you definitely tire out faster than normal. But, I mean, it's more so just uh, the grip of the ball is a little different than this. So, I mean, going from little to no humidity to a lot of humidity is definitely a challenge.
2: And I think about you, and I remember we talked about this down at spring training. You know, this has to be such a special year for you. And I, I know we talked about a glitch in Tokyo, but I remember saying, you're going to be back, and you're going to help this team. And before you know it, you were back. Just being healthy and pitching and being in the rotation,
6: just how wonderful has this been for you? It's great. Um, obviously, a lot of people kind of got me here, got me back to being healthy. But, I mean, it's more so just a sense of relief for me, like, personally, just because I know, like, this organization, Bomell, I mean, they can they can count on me every fifth day, not worry about, hey, is he healthy, is he anything else? So just pencil me in every fifth day kind of thing. That's just sense of
2: pride, sense of relief that we're kind of at, at that point. And I think for you, you know, everybody makes Tommy John out to be so easy now. Like, oh, he's just going to have Tommy John. And you're living proof that it's just not, it's not that easy, and it takes a lot of time, and there can be setbacks and – it's got to be it's very frustrating so we need to stop people acting like it's just some easy surgery
6: no I mean any surgery no matter what it is even like normal life I mean when a doctor cuts you open it's a grind from there I mean you got you gotta you gotta really really work just to get back to being healthy so um, obviously we have a great support group here to uh, really like push you every day through those dark days and everything else but I
2: mean yeah it's it's definitely a grind. Yeah, because i get you know i get the call on right now in the post game show is good aj puck up here and i'm like that's not how when you have tommy john they have a plan for you they're mm-hmm. never going to rush you and you got to stick by that plan and i think with you and a lot of people need to realize that time is your friend yeah. you need to you, you know we used to be let's rush them back before 12 months now we're looking more 14 months or sometimes mm-hmm. even longer
6: i i think i think time is your friend but i think rest is your biggest friend um to me, that the biggest jump I had was that offseason that I had off from doing nothing. Because I mean, people don't realize once you have Tommy John, you don't have that offseason because you're not you're not taking those two three months off kind of thing from not throwing or whatever it may be. You're you're in Arizona. You're you're constantly grinding. Um, so going from a seven month seven month schedule to a 12 month constant grind, and then you somehow end up like say in July or something, and it's like, all right, you got five more months or three more months until the, the next off season comes, that's the hardest part is just that time off where it's like, hey, you don't need to go to rehab tomorrow kind of thing. So I mean that off season after Tommy John when you finally can like truly relax, that's that's I feel like to me is the biggest jump physically when people really say, Hey, I'm back to being normal.
2: When did you say and feel my God, I'm back. I got it back. I can throw. I can let it loose. I'm healthy mm-hmm. again. When was that?
6: This spring training, no doubt. Um, I just kind of threw a couple of bullpens, uh, got in games, and I just saw Mel look at me a little different. I looked at Bomell a little different, and I think he knew, and I knew that, hey, you're pretty much back to what we had before Tommy John. And, I mean, it was a huge sense of relief. It was a huge uh, sense of accomplishment kind of thing just because, I mean, I was like – the whole the whole year before that was a whirlwind. The whole year before that was doubts and stuff like that. Where, where, not even performance-wise on the field, it was more so just feeling physically-wise. It just not ever truly feeling what I remembered feeling before Tommy John. So yeah, the, the biggest thing for me was just getting to spring training this year and truly feeling normal.
2: You know what's <clears throat> funny about watching you pitch is like you'll look up at the television and go. Wait a minute. He's not going from the windup anymore. Now he's going from the. Yeah. I mean, I never know where you're going. You're yeah. going to be the stretch. You're going to be in the windup. What is up with that? Uh, I mean,
6: you don't you don't have to watch nine innings or whatever to see my mechanics are a little funky to say the least. <laughs> so uh, so uh, when you're uh, yeah, I mean, thanks, Liam. When you when you're seeing Liam Hendricks just threw yeah. him a baseball. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you're when you're seeing my mechanics, and then you add say i'm facing the houston astros where my adrenaline's kind of way up from normal so so to speak it kind of speeds me up and so i go to the stretch more so to slow myself down simplify my, my mechanics it gets me in line a lot more so um yeah it's just more so me monitoring where i'm at physically and i don't mean physically as in do i feel good or bad it's more so of like hey how's your adrenaline right now are you too sped up um, and if I am, it's just a very simple fix for me to go right to the to the stretch. And it, like I said, it just simplifies my mechanics. And I'm able to start throwing strikes, quality strikes, and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, because I, I, I say all the time, you're like a big pre manis out there because yeah. you're just all arms and legs. And I got to think that plays to such a huge advantage for you. It's got to be tough for hitters to see the ball coming out of your hands.
6: Yeah, I, I mean, deception is a massive part of my game. And I just – It was never really something that I, like, worked on where it was like, hey, like, throw your arms and legs everywhere, and that's going to really help you in in the big leagues kind of thing. It just, I guess, God-given that I just always threw like that, and obviously it's it's translated to, so far, being pretty good here.
2: When I think about that last road trip, talk me through – how these games, the regular season games, but they sure felt and looked like Minnesota mm-hmm. and Houston, like they were playoff games.
6: No doubt. I mean, the atmospheres at both of the places were pretty incredible. Um, heck, I, when I pitched in Minnesota, it was hot as heck. And I'll tell you right now, I would not have been at that game. And they were dang near sold out. And like you said, it was no doubt playoff atmosphere with playoff caliber teams. So, I mean, we're in a, we're in a stretch of schedule where we're facing playoff teams – and the environments are definitely feeling like that. The teams that we're facing feel like that. I mean, these are must win games and I know I understand it's in July, but all these games really, really count for us. I know I when mean, we know that the end of September when the season kinda ends.
2: Yeah, I, I tell people, stop telling me about a marathon. This is a sprint to the finish line and all these games with the way everybody is bunched up and as we talked to Melvin, Melvin doesn't want to talk about the wild card. He still wants to win the division, mm-hmm. so I like how you say that. Yeah, you need to win these games. You need to beat these teams. Yeah, uh, I think, I think it's a, a feeling
6: out process of where you're at until the All Star break, and then once the All Star break hits, I mean, it's there's no more marathon. It's definitely a every game you got to win because we know if it's the wild card of the division or whatever it is, it's going to come down to one game. It really is. So I mean, you give away a game here, you give away a game there at the very end, you're going to look back and be like dang, we won those games, and that made the difference, or we're going to look back and say, dang, we lost those games. So every day, I mean, obviously, Bowmel does an unbelievable job. I mean, we have young Chapman and Olsen running around kind of crazy. Just every day we're coming with it, and, I mean, obviously, the team, like I said, the teams that are coming in here, we're going to there. They're, they are too. So, I mean, there's no more marathon by any means.
2: Yeah, you just mentioned those two guys, and I think the strength for me, we're always talking about home runs. But the strength for me, this team, because I want to say they've only made 55 errors on the year. Mm-hmm. Talk about this defense, knowing that what you have behind you is as good as anybody.
4: Yeah,
6: uh, I think everyone. Everyone obviously knows Matt Chapman. I mean, Platinum Glove winner. Um, but I, I think, I, I mean, obviously he won a Gold Glove last year, so he has got the credit he's he's deserved. But I think Matt Olson's still underrated. I really do. Um, the amount of plays that he saves us, just because of, say, crazy throws or whatever it may be, and he's scooping everything. He's he's unbelievable at first base, and just the amount of outs that he saves and the amount of runs that he saves is just incredible. But like, like I said, Chapman's just world class. He's the best. He's the best defender, honestly, to me in, in all of baseball. Um, those two at the corner is just. It makes baseball a whole heck of a lot easier for a pitcher <laughs> no one, knowing knowing the field I mean the field's obviously the same dimensions, but with those two on the field it, it the, the field looks looks and feels a whole heck of a lot smaller I'll tell you that
2: let's end on this the ball you're holding in your hands mm-hmm. it's different mm-hmm. and we know it we got yeah. I, I have the astrophysicist Meredith will dr. Meredith wills on she's proven that it's different can as you as a pitcher. Have you what's the ball been like for you? And when did you know that? Hey, this is a little bit different.
6: Uh, it, it's it's just slicker. I mean, ev- everyone everyone knows that that it's just you. It, it's harder to grip the baseball nowadays. So I feel like sinker ball guys are having a little harder time um, getting some sink. Um, guys that are really really good at manipulating a pitch, they're having a little bit more difficult time. But then you see four seam guys kind of surviving or thriving because four seam guys really don't rely much on grip they more rely on just ripping the ball so um yeah it is what it is we're all playing with the same ball it's just I think I think changing the baseballs is a little little touchy for especially pitchers you see with Verlander yeah I mean I I think every pitcher in the league almost dang near is with him though that's a thing I mean if you change the ball, I think you should give us a little bit of a heads-up
2: at least. And the thing about Verlander, which we actually looked it up, we didn't know Major League Baseball <coughs> has bought part of Rawlings. Mm-hmm. It was Verlander who brought it up. I went, I didn't know that. We've Googled it. Like, you can't find mm-hmm. – it's like he let the cat out of the bag. Like I said, it's a really touchy, touchy
6: subject because no one wants to be that guy. But, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you see – you see the ball flying out of the ballpark at an absurd rate. Um, guys that used to be five, six home run guys that were known to like contact hitters are now at 20 home runs, and it's like that wasn't a change of just like your swing angle or launch angle or whatever the heck it may be. That like, Something changed, and is it good for baseball? That's two to be determined. If, if it is, then so be it. I mean, if the fans love it, then – pitchers suck it up because we got to deal with it and and obviously we got to deal with it right now so it is what it is I mean you just you you, you complaining about it I don't think it's going to change much it's like a little like six-year-old complaining to mom and dad I mean unfortunately the ball is the ball so yeah I mean we got we got to suck it up and deal with it
2: hey you're a class act I always like having you on the show whether it's this show or the pregame show you know we've been rooting for you for a long time keep it up and uh Get this thing to the postseason. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Chris Bassett right here on A's Cast Live. Coming up next, Haley Alvarez, the scouting coordinator. She has made history in Major League Baseball. We're talking about women in baseball, and she'll join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Hey, this is Fred of the B-52s, and whenever my flying saucer is
0: over Oakland, I listen to A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend.
2: You know what's great about being in the business of baseball? So, we talked to Cara earlier today, and we're celebrating women in baseball, but when you're in scouting, and you're going around the country, you got no clue what's going on, other than what's going on in baseball. Haley, I asked you. Hey, it's women. At... I have no clue. <laughs> I've been traveling around scouting.
7: Yeah, been traveling for the past month and a half. Uh, seen some pro teams getting ready for the trade deadline. Um, trying to find some, you know, prospects for us. Hopefully, here in the next year, couple of years ahead.
2: What does that mean to you that you're the only woman to have this job in baseball?
7: Uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, I love being a role model to other women that want to get into the game and uh, kind of forging the path, being the lead example, um, doing things for the first time, kind of creating you know, example for, for everyone out there. And um, it's great, I love it.
2: You know, I, I think about where we are today versus when I first started covering the game, like in 96, 97, to so where you had to be a former player. We've got so many people in front offices now who never played baseball. We're bringing all these smart guys in from all the MIT and all these different places. Just what is the game like today from a standpoint of you don't have to be a guy who played in the big leagues to work for a team?
7: Yeah, I would say the majority of people around me, whether it's scouts or front office, most people never played past high school level. So the really only the difference is that I'm female compared to them. Um, we have the same background, business degrees, PhDs. Um, and, you know, it. the one thing that's very different is like, what do you wear on the road? That's kind of like one question that I've always faced um, because there's no other woman out there of what you do. So. Um, that's kind of what been one thing that's been different for me that hasn't been showed by the other men around me. Um, like what's appropriate and kind of setting the boundaries for that. Um, which is actually like kind of an interesting thing that people don't think about or, um, you know, going to spring training and there's no locker room for women. We're building one right now, but things like that, that are, you know, every day in a baseball organization that like, we just never had.
2: You mean you just don't wear jeans and a golf shirt every day?
7: No, I do not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much standard procedure around here. It is. It
7: is. It's standard. Or Lululemon pants, you know? They don't make those for women (laughs) the same way.
2: So, scouting coordinator, take us through everything that you do for the organization.
7: Yeah, so I, basically from from the front office, help support our international amateur and pro departments. Uh, What that means is making sure that our guys that are out in the field every day do the best job that they can do, uh, whether that's from expenses to travel to um, technology they need with the radar guns, stopwatches. Um, Anything in our database that we have, so wherever we house all of our reports, making sure that's clean, accessible to them, ready to go for the draft. Um, My main responsibility throughout the years, leading up to the Rule 4 draft in June. Um, I need to make sure that all players are registered with MLB. Um, And then I also, um, in kind of liaison between our medical staff and all the amateur players, trying to make sure that we can get them cleared, um, kind of see what condition they are and before we take them. Um, prepare for the Rule 4, and then I actually in the the room select all the players for our team and announce the selections um, over the radio and conference call with MLB. Um, So that's kind of the main responsibility. We have 20 area scouts um, that I help support out in the field every day all across the country, Um, 17 international guys, um, you know, ranging from the Dominican Republic to Australia, Um, and then uh, we have eight pro scouts that cover all the major league down through the minor league teams across the US. So got everyone um, kind of all over the world. And the basic, my job is to make sure the communication keeps flowing between everyone. Uh, make sure they can get out there, do their job, um, kind of make sure that also they're heard by us. You know, it's hard for them to get their word up to everyone since they don't get the face time with us like we do. So we try to do meetings with them, um, you know, try to get everything they can to the GM that I can so that they can be heard.
2: How much different is it dealing with scouts that are in the U.S. versus dealing with the scouts that are international?
7: It's very similar. Um, a lot of you know, they're both like have share a passion for baseball, so every, you know, pretty similar backgrounds. Um, the world of scouting in both is very different. Um, so adjusting my scale and understanding um, kind of how they're, they're evaluating players is, is a lot different. Um, you know, we have a lot of restrictions age-wise on these international players. There's no draft. Um, so understanding the rules and regulations and kind of helping those guys through that a lot more just because there's so many more limitations on the international side Um, and then on the amateur side it's pretty basic you know the guys have a pretty good idea of what can what and what can happen since the the draft is so regulated Um, so there's not much difference between the the type of person that's out there but um, the way that I have to kind of communicate with them is, is very different and Uh, make sure that we're following a lot of standards internationally.
2: The international signings always get me. It's like, we're giving a 16-year-old how much money?
7: (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. This this year was a big one. It's exciting. We'll see where he goes. But uh, he's in Arizona now, getting ready, you know, getting adjusted. to 16? Yeah. Oh,
2: man, that is just unbelievable. Uh, Long-term goals, I got to think for you, is to be a general manager, right?
7: Yes, that's a, the ultimate goal. Right now, I'm just trying to get well-rounded, um, understand every facet of the game. Right now, that I can, I've been mostly directed on the, the scouting side. I have a little bit of sports science background with the Cincinnati Reds, and um, worked with like force plates and bat sensors and all that technology. And I'm really trying to learn a lot of the on-field stuff now. You know, interaction between the coaches and the players, moves, um, how do you know to design? Um, the, you know, pitching for the day. How does the manager kind of go about those? those thoughts in their head and that's something that i'm trying to get better at but just become the most well-rounded executive i can for now and then hopefully um, the first female gm but we'll see you know it's uh it's going to come at some time we just don't know when
2: the cincinnati reds didn't want to lose you if i've read correctly right
7: oh yeah they uh they wanted to keep me there you know it's it a hard hard thing to say no to i spent a year with the organization loved loved the front office there um, was learning a lot but being from the bay area it was hard to pass up an opportunity to work for a team um, close to home and be close to family, especially with the hard schedule, baseball schedule, miss so many important events with your family and friends that being able to swing home after a a game for Mother's Day for dinner or something, it was really important to me.
2: And what is it like working for an organization where you got guys that have been here for a really, really long, Keith Lippman, I think, was this year 49 or 50? You think how long Bean's been here? You think how long David has been here? Uh, Kubota, what is it like joining this group uh, of these guys that have just had this these incredible incredible longevity and careers here with the A's?
7: It's fantastic. I mean, the loyalty at the A's is one of the greatest I've ever seen at a team, and um, you know, to learn from so many experiences that they've been through, and Eric's been in my position. Um, You know, he's moved all the way up to scouting director and it's pretty amazing to get his insight and and still where he's going with scouting. Um, One of the funniest things to me with with scouting is that, you know, we're always getting better at it. So, um, I think, you know, it can only continue to grow in the game, but being around people that have been around the same team for so long, it's amazing to see the relationships form and and how uh, they work together. Through everything and, and they've still evolved you know it's not no one's really been stuck in their ways a lot of new ideas have come up throughout the years and it you know continuing to change as we progress and the game changes um, as well
2: so this is like one of the best sets you're ever gonna have right for a show and what's cool about it is that we get to see everything that goes on and you can you know look down in the bullpen and rap Soto and the high-tech cameras and we have all the stat cast and we have every you know so scouting has changed Talk about technology and how technology has helped change
7: scouting. Yeah, so it's it's really added to it. Um, you know, nothing is taken away from what we see, and I think there will always be the element of having to go to games and, and watch the players firsthand. Uh, you get a lot of off-field stuff that you can't evaluate through statistics, but it's kind of like a checks and balances system. You know, we really use it to support what we're seeing on the field, or we even find players, you know, that we may be interested in that haven't performed as well, um, you know, kind of look at their history and look at back at the stats for all of that to help, support our findings um it's, it's pretty crazy how much information we have on these players these days um you know we we started a pretty young early age with them in high school and uh build a track record especially as they pass through um, to the majors and we kind of keep that history as we go so it it really helps support our decisions especially with um, signings and trades later on
2: and when i look think about travel ball showcases all the things that weren't around when i was playing back in the day that how much does that help you in scouting to where the best players are constantly playing against each other in amateur baseball and instead of having just to go look at a guy at his high school you can see him at these tournaments you can see him travel ball talk about how that has helped scouting too
7: yeah it's great i mean it, it's great for the players it's great for the scouts it works both ways players get to talent showcase their talent events against, against the best talent throughout the u.s especially these high school players at area codes Um, They get to pitch against the best hitters. The hitters get to hit against the best pitchers. So you can really see how they'll do against competition coming into pro ball. Um, As you said, it's hard to evaluate a player at a high school by himself in a league that may not have as much competition. And um, it's really great to have kind of a one-stop shop for scouts as well, to sit at a tournament for a week, see some of the best talent um, and knock it out kind of pretty quickly. Um, And I think you you don't get that very often.
2: Well, that's how everybody missed on Mike Trout. Yes. Billy Bean and Farhan went over there and said, "Ah, two games. I hey, didn't look that great." And they take Grant Green, but everybody was afraid of the the, the New Jersey and the competition. I think Trout's going to be okay.
7: Yeah, we'll see.
2: I think he's going to be a pretty good player. <laughs> will <laughs> be? Yeah, he's, I think I think I, I think you'll uh, the contract will be worth it someday. Yeah. I think it will be worth it. Well, we really appreciate the time, and it's fascinating. And we I. I told my producer we'd love to have you on because we know this is this week we're celebrating women in baseball and you're a pioneer before we let you go how many articles have been written on you
7: Uh, a handful some here and there you know some local newspapers here growing up in marin uh, they've kind of uh, taken a story to me growing up in marin going to high school there and um, and then some more national publications And what are they? Uh, The Washington Post and Wall Street Journal.
2: Yeah, I think I've heard of them. Yeah. (laughs) It's big time. Thank you so much. And uh, I know you – And I almost feel bad because we had David on earlier. Now we have you. you You're working – this is a big time for you guys. I mean, you guys are really busy. So for you to come down and do this, I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Coming up next, we're going to get into a little buying or selling right here on A's Cast Live.
0: Broadcasting from the town, A's Cast Live continues.
2: You know, every single year, I forget how good Root Beer Floats are. They brought us the Root Beer Floats. They're they're fantastic. (laughs) And don't forget Root Beer Float Day. It's the 20th annual Root Beer Float Day. It's going to be on Sunday from 1030 to 2 p.m., A's players, A's coaches. You're gonna have all kinds of media people, celebrities, come out and see us on Sunday starting at 1030. We'll be in the East Side Club and Championship Plaza. Wow, it's gonna be out a championship plaza too. That's a that's a new. Usually it's always just up at the East Side Club. But you know what? It's so busy. That might be a good idea, because it's been so busy the past couple of years. But once again. The A's will host the 20th annual Root Beer Float Day on Sunday. Of course, trying to fight
3: juvenile diabetes. All right, let's get to, wait, whoa, no. Hold on, no, no, no. Hello? I got a nuggy nug for you. Some First time in Major League Baseball history. There have been four consecutive days with guys hitting it, having three homer games. Robertson Cano did it for the Mets. I'm enjoying my Root Beer Float, by the way. Paul DeYoung did it for the Cardinals. Nellie Cruz did it last night. Boom, sick baby. And now Mookie Betts against the Yankees has three home runs and four innings. So first time ever, uh, MLB Stats on Twitter. So this is the first time there's four straight nights someone's hit. 3 There's been a three-homer game by
2: play. Four straight days?
3: Four straight days. First time ever.
2: There's nothing wrong
3: with the ball. The ball's fine. Yeah. There's nothing to see here. The ball's fine. Twins have 199 home runs. We're on June 26th. The, think about that. The, it's fine. It's fine. No problem. All right, Ben, hit the open. Nothing to see here.
0: It's time for Buying or Selling,
3: so sell. right
0: now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live.
3: All right, well, I hate to do it because uh, it's my hometown team, but I'm going to do Your Buccos. I'm going to do it. They're losing right now, 5-3. The tanking continues. Are, 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 you, you, dumb, are you putting uh, dirt on the box? Time to fire hurdle, get rid of everyone, trade everyone. It's, it's going to one of those things.
2: Raise the jolly roger.
3: So in uh, Wednesday's game against the Cardinals, the Pirates are showing 11-4, when Yara Munez took off running to steal second base. You know, we actually have the audio. Ben, play the audio.
4: And that nine-run second, and the runner steals ahead 11-4. Wow. Excellent jump. (laughs) Yeah. I want the Pirates, uh, well, they're holding them on, I guess. Always wonder about those unwritten rules. The, the rules the unwritten ones anyway well even the ones that are written down they've changed a lot over the yeah. last
3: 10 20 years
4: and he's taking off for third
2: <laughs>
4: I love it and even the fans don't like it I know exactly what would happen now well it, there you, are, you, how about you, this years, in a different era let me ask you this though in a
2: different era we're in a ballpark here the fans don't like it <laughs> I've never heard that Wow. Well, I've never heard the fans boo Basically, this is, a, a, again, these old unwritten rules, but the fans don't like it. And I guess it's
3: possible they're just not happy with Escobar giving him this running lead. But Yeah, they, they might not be booing the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah, no, they're not booing the Cardinals. They're, they're booing the Pirates being 2-11 since the All-Star break. But buying your selling Tony, stealing bases when you're winning by seven or more runs. The unwritten rules of baseball. <sighs> I love Greg Brown and Bob Walk, and Bob but I, I have to do it. Um, it seems Bush League but
2: here's the deal why should I sacrifice my stats which I get paid on because you stink right I mean think about that at the end when I go to arbitration they're going to be looking at how many RBIs on my OPS? They, you know, they're going be looking at all this stuff, these metrics. And by the way, if I steal more bags, I'm going to make more money. If I score more runs, I'm going to make more money. So I'm supposed to sacrifice my stuff because you, your team's not any good? So I'm going to say I'm selling, even though I understand where baseball is with this. But I'm going to say I'm selling because, you know what, you got to stop it. You know that it's like in football let's say a football team's blow, blowing another football team out now they want you not to play anymore right you, you, you too you shouldn't try and score touchdowns uh last time i checked you get paid for scoring touchdowns it's like the golden state warriors you really want steph curry hey they're up 15 steph don't shoot threes anymore
3: so i'm selling okay i'm with you i'm selling it too uh still as much as you want the pirates stink they can't stink. Hold, they're holding the guy in first, and he still stole second base. Then he stole third.
2: Can, can I get? Can I give you the one last night that, that, that just fried me? Yeah, because I'm actually going to go to this team after you mentioned this. So Pete Alonzo, who's having an incredible year. Greatest Mets hitter ever. He got hit yesterday with a changeup. A changeup. This just tells you what sensitive butterflies we have. Was it Stevie Wilkerson's changeup at 54 miles an hour? I don't know. We got to look, see what the, he got hit with a changeup, got halfway down the line and started barking at the pitcher. (laughs) He hit you with a changeup. This whole thing, how soft baseball has become, where they don't want contact, right? You know what? In sports, there's going to be contact. If you're going to drive to the basket on a consistent basis, you know what? A big man's going to foul you and he's going to get you. You're going to get hit in football. You're going to hit. you know, we don't want them sliding, taking guys out at second. We can't run into the catcher. I mean, dude, seriously, you still have to be able to play the game. And by the way, pitches are going to get away from pitchers and you're going to get hit. But if you get hit in the back by a changeup and then you're going to bark at the pitcher, that is Bush League.
3: Well, let's actually get to some audio. This actually happened last night in the Mets game
4: you're also a pitcher and yep. recently threw a no-hitter yeah Is that right
7: yeah
4: congratulations thank you that's that's many no-hitters as the Mets have. Had. <laughs> that wasn't really
7: a no-hitter
3: that's a fair ball <laughs> oh that's funny so during the game the Mets brought in their uh, kid caster who threw no he threw a no hitter I think he's like 12 so it's as many no-hitters as the Mets now Johan Santana threw one in 2012 very controversial play by Carlos Beltran. and it's the ball down the third baseline. It hits the foul line behind the bag. They called it a foul ball. The no-hitter happens, blah, blah, blah. Santana pretty much ended his career after that. Buying or selling, Mets fans secretly hate the Mets. What? Secretly hate the Mets? Mets fans they're secretly. So mi- they're so miserable that they hate their own team. No, they're New Yorkers. <laughs> New Yorkers are they're East Coast. They I'll, are miserable. I'll be completely, Have you ever met a New Yorker? Well I'm from Pennsylvania, that's close
2: enough. I mean, my god, my whole family's from Boston. They're miserable human beings.
3: I, 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 I couldn't think of a creative thing I to say joking. with that. I, I just wanted to play that and, and wanted to get your reaction to that.
2: There's have you ever listened to sports talk in New York? Oh my god. I mean it's just it's the Northeast feast is feasts off just being miserable. It's just Philadelphia, Philadelphia.
3: Yeah, they, they're don't they, don't. They're curmudgeons. There they threw they threw snowballs at Santa Claus. Yeah, they they. He uh, was drunk, but they still threw snowballs yeah. at. Santa. They they boo. They threw batteries at people. They boo people. Oh, it's uh. The it's Northeast. On, it's not a great place to live. Go to Pittsburgh. It's better. All right, I'm gonna end with this That's one. That's the Midwest. Yeah, we, uh, we had audio here, but I'm not gonna play because we're running out of time. Well, we're on running this, out of time. No, we we really? got two minutes. Yeah. On this day. What date, day is it today? Friday. All right. On this date, 14 years ago, the greatest pitcher I've ever seen pitch, Greg Maddox, entered the 3,000 strikeout club. Now, he was the 13th member. There's now 17 that have joined the club with CC and Glavin and Smoltz and, and uh, Randy Johnson joining the club. Oh, no, Randy. So I'm missing someone. He has 3,000 wins or 300 wins also, and he has 999 career walks, which has never been done. No guy has ever had 3,000 strikeouts. Maddox has, ups. like,
2: 355 wins.
3: Yeah. Well, no, but I'm saying he's only got to ever have Don't 300 wins. do shortchange him on that. Only one guy's ever hit more than ten home runs off of Greg Maddox. That's Luis Gonzalez. Then the great Barry Bonds has hit ten home runs off Maddox. Buying or selling? Greatest? Greg Maddox is the greatest pitcher of the modern era. Meaning, the like the modern era would be more yeah. of the. I'm trying to think of the exact date, but
4: uh,
2: that's a tough one to throw at me because I mean, what about? Uh, is Tom Seaver still able? Yeah, he's, he's considered. I mean, because Tom Seaver was pretty pretty damn good. You know, I think of like Randy Johnson. I think of like Pedro Martinez. Pedro Martinez's numbers inside the steroid era
3: is, are crazy how dominant he was compared to everybody else. <sighs> Let me throw this at you. Maddox faced 20,421 batters in his career. I tweeted this out earlier because I looked it up. 310 of them went to a 3-0 count. 177 of them for intentional walks. The guy was um, the only guy that could hit Maddox was Tony, Tony Glenn, Glenn and our good friend Coco Crisp, who had a 666 batting.
2: Average. Yeah, my he, kind of my problem with him, though, is he wasn't great in the postseason. Yeah, he won a World Series. He won one, but he lost a lot. He he wasn't he wasn't dominant. If you can pull up his postseason, you know what? Save this question. We will get back because I could easily say I'm buying. And I think I easily could say selling. I
3: I, I, I have to research this well, a little the, more. The best thing to do about that, too, is would he make it and how good of a pitch would he be in the modern day when we look at analytics? I, he, I, Greg Max,
2: if you have 355 wins, I've met him before, by the way. He's a super cool guy. Bulldog. He's a, I love
3: that. He's such a good guy. Lives in Vegas. We will we will revisit this on Monday. Remember, we're going to have the pitching guy on for the Texas baseball ranch. We'll talk about this. I cannot wait. What do we got next? We got Alex we Jensen. We got the face of A's all night, Alex Jensen, who's and back from Stockton. And
2: then I will be getting you ready for A's baseball in like 10 minutes on 860 AM, Sports 1140 KHDK, and here on A's Cast. That will do it for A's Cast Live, and we will be back on Monday. What do we got? When's Monday? What do we got Monday? Is that a full show? Do they have a day off on Monday? Uh, yes,
3: A's have a day off, and the Brewers are in town. All right,
2: Tuesday. we will be on from 4 to 7 on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody.